All right, we are back, and this week we are talking tourneys. Um, Quentin, how you doing tonight? Uh, it feels good to uh, not have to worry about <laughs> uh, employment, employment next school year, but hey, I'm good. Uh, a little tired, but I've watched way too much wrestling, and I think this is the only proper way to, uh, to talk about it. Yeah, well, we got, that's it. You said we watched way too much wrestling because we are doing the, the summer tournaments. We're going to catch caught up. We mentioned that we were going to get into them. So we're here to uh, to catch up on Best of the Super Juniors and the King of DDT. Um, I think there were some other tournaments in there that we probably should also be covering, but we're not. Um, maybe Champions Carnival we missed. I mentioned the winner whatever a couple weeks ago. But we are joined by the, the master of tournament discussion on the on podcasts in general and this podcast network. The, uh, the host... The star and the main attraction of the Talking Tourneys podcast, Dan Rice. How are you doing tonight? I'm doing great, man. Thanks for having me on. I occasionally have a guest host on that show. I can't think of his Which name. Which is nice of you. But yeah. But yeah, you're right. It's mostly me. I'm a tournament expert. Yes, this is true. And I appreciated yeah. hearing your guys' uh, top 10 lists um, about the performers that you know had been on the on the show so far. Especially because, you know, even though... My tournament maybe wasn't the best, and maybe none of my none of the uh, the competitors in it even made the top ten. Trevor, Trevorit, Trevor Lee, and Andrew Everett did get a shout out as being honorable mentions, um, which I think was just fair enough, especially because the tournament wasn't that good overall. It wasn't Sam's number ten. They weren't Sam's number ten. I think that he gave them honorable mention too, but maybe it oh, wasn't okay. his number ten. Maybe I don't know. Maybe they, maybe. they were close. I mean, it was. Yeah, it was totally amazing. And if the tournament was just slightly better, I think, you know, it'd be easier to give them a, uh, a a better rating. But it is tough to 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 rate them highly in a tournament that wasn't that good. Um, <laughs> that, that's what we're tra- talking about tonight, right? Uh, DDT4? Yes. We're going to rehash it here with Quentin here now. Right. Um, really break down the minutiae again. Um Trevor recently debuted on TV and it looked pretty looked pretty good from the clip that I saw. He got to like basically squash somebody and Baron his Corbin, beard yeah. was shaved. He yeah, squashed Corbin. That's good. I don't know anything else that happened after that. And you know, it's WWE, so they probably fucked it up, but whatever. Yeah, just nice to just nice to see nice to see our guy do something. Yeah, it's always good. As we said, he's the man. Um I heard someone on another podcast. All right transitioning over aew double or nothing is coming up um i think we i think we got a lot to talk about tonight and really just like save all the aew chat for next week i heard somebody try to break down like the four pillars of aew which four pillar of heaven from uh all japan is which of the four pillars from aew and the person i heard doing it i felt like got it all wrong before you get into this i just want to say no no just but not just, before, yeah before you even get into i, I don't want to <laughs> hear i, I don't want to hear who they I, I really don't who's who i just i, I just want to say no yes. i just really so, firmly want to establish that it is a no it's a it's a firm no none of the pillars are the other pillars that's fair um like i said i have i had my 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 thoughts all mapped out i think that i make a pretty good case for who's who um in my head but like I said, we're going to save all AEW talk for next week when we focus on the pay-per-view. And I had a better topic I wanted to talk with you, Quentin, about because I think that me and you can really break this down um, because it really affects both of us, which is this has been a talking point that's bubbled up on the Internet recently. Uh, Marvel and Disney characters in you know films and movies 
redheads getting replaced by black people. Uh, Quentin, me being the redhead, uh, how do you feel about uh, about this topic um, and this representation? And does it really speak to the fact that uh, redheads were a marginalized group and were, you know, treated badly? And now we've, you know, we don't need that representation anymore. I mean, I feel like when you look at the fact that the only real representation for redheads was a mermaid, I feel like yes. the, like the, I feel like there is an established market of redheaded mermaids that exist. And this like when true. you just like deviate so far from the norm, like this, you know, what 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 do what do you truly expect? This is true. No, I mean, someone broke this down and found like over fifty cases of characters that were redheads being changed to being people of color now in like Marvel specifically, which is crazy. Um, but I do think it does speak to like what I jokingly referred to there was that like, I think in the past they would throw like a token redhead character into a story and be like, Oh, this, you know, and then now it's just like, okay, what's the you know token representation that uh, de jour of the time. And it just speaks to that. And I just think it's like, it's such a weird thing for people to be upset about. Because it's just like showing that token representation is just being swapped out based on what's, you know, the hotness of the moment. And the fact that oh. anyone would actually be mad about it is so, so stupid. Oh, of course. And then it's funny. Um, I work with a guy. He's the, um, he's the uh, student, student resource officer at the school. And, uh, like, you know, like for all intents and purposes, not a, like not a cop I've had like particularly like negative interactions with. Uh, while I, while, I've, while I've been there, but um, he is a real big comic book guy, um, and he's like a, a couple different times you've had like discussions on people changing characters, um, uh, in these in, in, in adaptations of stuff. So talking about making characters different races or different sexualities and things like that, uh, and. Yeah, he gets he gets he gets quite passionate quite passionate about it. Not quite like, uh, not quite bigot mode, but like sure. enough as to where it's like, you know, this doesn't really change anything about the character. Not really sure why this matters to you so much, but <laughs> right. Yeah, that's uh, a, that's a, those those people are those people are interesting. It is weird, Dan. What, do you have any thoughts on uh, on this? Yeah, the I think that I think that Jeff Jarrett's Masawa uh, haters okay. probably Kobashi. Uh, no, uh, I you know I'm in Appalachia, and so I have a lot of like friends of friends and acquaintances and you know coworkers who it's like you're a, you're a 50 year old man, you are very upset about Little Little Mermaid. I just don't <laughs> yeah. I just don't know like no matter what your opinion on is i just don't know how you can muster all of the energy for that i mean yeah it's, yeah. it's all it's, it's like they all get cue cards saying like this is what you're angry about this week <laughs> it's true and they they do stick with it pretty strong and they oh um, they do they do yeah i don't work there anymore but i worked in a factory and uh i just they would play fox news in the cafeteria and it was like it would get uh, them going like it would it would it would like they would just be like i don't know like throwing like a bone to a hungry dog and i uh, i stopped eating lunch in the cafeteria because i just that, couldn't honestly like i couldn't do it sounds like a super intriguing time like i would probably like only stick around there once just out of intrigue but i would love to see like 
the look at the look the look in the eyes and the attentiveness of like middle-aged white men when Tucker Carlson was on TV. Like I would just oh, like, yeah. love to see like how excited <laughs> and attentive they are. And then well, when they was... found out that I am, you know, the like in some cases on some shifts, some shifts, the lone person that's to the left of Genghis Kong, like the only liberal in sight, they'd want me to defend stuff. And I'm like, I'm just trying to eat a sandwich. Like we're on a 12 hour shift. Yeah. Right. Well, I was going to, I mean, I was going to say like, and good thing Quentin brought it up there. Tucker, like, yeah, I wouldn't want to eat in the break room if they're playing Fox news either. Cause I don't, I'm sick of that woke bull crap. Like they can't get <laughs> one, you know, they can't get ONN on or anything like anything real. <laughs> oh, Fox I would news. love to step back in. I bet, I bet that's a real conversation <laughs> going on. Oh yeah, no. The, there's no way that they're watching Fox News anymore. Like pe- the the really crazy and to say crazy, the mainstream like conservative talking point at this point is like Fox is like woke. Like they don't like they don't trust Fox anymore and they don't like it anymore. So yeah, they're they're they've definitely probably switched on to the harder stuff. Yeah, but like the, yeah, but like the harder stuff. That's is that even part of any? Granted, a lot of stuff is going like digitally in different ways to get to do things like Fubo slang stuff like that. Yeah. But like in basic cable packages, do they carry things like Newsmax and shit like that? I think that Newsmax still is. OANN is not anymore. And I heard someone, and I don't know how true this is, but I heard someone say that Newsmax beats Fox News sometimes now. Oh my gosh. Like in race. That's, that's <laughs> yeah. wow. Not like not like a lot, but at just at some times during the day, Newsmax <laughs> is doing better than than Fox News, which is again, like I said, it's it's Fox News is too woke. And it's fucking crazy to think about that. <laughs> yes, uh, that is horrifying. Yeah. Um, did say something about strong there. I was going to use that as a pivot point, but we obviously lost uh, lost it. I was also going to maybe talk about Disney and play off of the Disney thing here and move on to uh, New Japan Strong Resurgence. And uh, did either of you guys watch any of this? No, I completely forgot about this. And okay, I saw. Um, like positive things about about the uh about one of the, about one of the Mercedes matches. So yes. definitely want to go back and uh watch that, but I completely forgot it. Yeah, and I think yeah, it falls I, into I the tourneys. It, it falls into tourneys because there was a one night women's tournament title match. That was I think the other tourney that I meant to uh say we were gonna talk about tonight. Um but we're obviously not going to. Oh I guess there's also a <laughs> New Japan IWGP United States heavyweight title tournament technically was was involved on the show as well which is very funny um jesus christ it's, it, i guess it is tournament season it's weird that bola got moved to where now it's like it was in the beginning of the year and it's not d- during the time when they're doing all the tournaments um dan are you a deathmatch guy at all i can be i mean uh sure, not to sure. spoil an upcoming episode but i mean or i think the favorite one of the favorite tournaments we covered was tournament of death three and we're going to cover tournament Andrew, of death four was that was yep, banned my, banned ass. my ass. Yeah, I uh, I am. It's just, it's become so prevalent that it's all the same. Like I watch it. Like I'll check in on GCW and I'll check in on H two O, and it's just none of it sticks with me. I, I was just gonna. I know that there's they announced participants for tournaments of survival, but I don't remember Ooh. any of them. So I was gonna check to see if you're a guy who oh, would know that off the top of his head. No. But. I think there's I, someone. I think there was something intriguing about it because I. Oh, Green Phantom's in it. Oh yes, and he was on. Um, what show was the he Terminal on? Death, Terminal Death Three. He was on, yeah, that's. I mean, you guys are. I mean, obviously, someone, someone circling around Brett must be listening to the podcast because 
why else would they be bringing green phantom in? that was kind of random i mean it's got janela working it again uh tremont's in it uh i think like Rena is in your it. girl uh sawyer rex in it sawyer yeah yeah it looks so, I mean, decent it's, it's a good lineup yeah huh, it, look, it looks like it'll be decent um but yeah, uh, I would definitely recommend checking out the New Japan Strong. I guess this is weird. Yeah, New Japan Strong women's title. Um, all the matches are really worth checking out. Um, got some insider information from friend of the podcast. I don't even know. I don't even know what name <laughs> I would call him on the show and if he would want me to say his name. But uh, someone who's training around here in Southern California as a wrestler um, said that at the school before the show, uh, Momo Kogo was trying to practice picking him up for fisherman suplexes. And uh, then when he watched the show, he realized she was practicing on him to see if she could do the move on Willow Nightingale, which is very funny. Um, oh. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so just a little little a little backstage tidbit there that I thought was pretty, pretty funny. Um, so shout out to that. Um Again, there's tons of news. I think I watched some wrestling stuff that was good other than all these tournaments, but I got so much stuff to talk about with the tournaments um, that we should just dive right in. Does that sound good to you guys? Or you got anything else you want to talk about? Uh, yeah, I am. I'm, I'm good. I'm, I'm good here. I am. Uh, I think I think we're still abstaining from a uh, from a uh, more CM Punk uh CM Punk yes. slash Shoot Week part part seventy five. I don't know. Like, think we think we're still abstaining from this. <laughs> yeah, I don't know yeah. how people engage in the discourse. Like, I love Sam. I love talking wrestling. If he's ever like this next episode is all about what's going on with CM Punk, I would never. I would never record it with him. <laughs> That's fair. That's fair. Um. Yeah. I mean, it's a it's a lot for everyone to constantly keep talking about. It is what it is. Um. Seems like we're heading in the right direction, so that's fun. Um, we'll see how things go. But um, I figure start out best of the Super Juniors, kind of talk about the tournament as a whole and any matches that really stood out to anybody um, would probably be the best way to go. Fucking crazy, really. To me, like it just felt nuts. It felt like such a breakneck pace for so many matches in such short order. So high quality. I mean, to pick out like who's the down, like who's the you know the the down wrestlers from each block. It's like Bushi because he's Bushi. He's not terrible. Um, show because of the gimmick. Um, you know Ishimori. I mean, he also got injured, but also it's Ishimori, so it's kind of like eh, whatever. Right. Taguchi like putting in work by telling a story and going old school was fucking great. Reminds me of Tanahashi when he does like a story throughout the G one or whatever, just like that thing where it's like, okay, I'm not going to win. So let me just try to soak up as much attention as I can. And in probably in almost any other year, the Taguchi story and what he was doing might have been able to draft like more of the attention and more people talking about it. But in this field, it's like impossible to, to deny like, how talented some of these guys are. Um, Cause yeah, then when you look at the top level, you have some of the best wrestlers in the world and you have people who were like really coming out of their shell and, and over delivering. It, this was fucking nuts. Like, I mean, there's a lot of hyperbole that people throw around and all this and that, but 
since the era where you can watch every best of the super juniors match easily online the next day, basically after it happened, like, I think this might be the best, best of the super juniors that's happened, you know, within this era. This is at least the best one I can remember since Osprey and Shingo moved up. Like, at, at, sure. le- at least since then, because I felt like with Osprey and Shingo, that like when you have when you had like two guys operating on the levels they were operating at, like that at least on one show you were guaranteed something great between b- b- between the two of them. Uh, and then obviously like the, the roster was still was still was still pretty good back then, and the, and the division was still solid. So even the other even other guys were giving were giving you good stuff. Robbie Eagles was coming into his own. So like, I think at least since 2019, this is probably this is probably the best one. And like when you look at the field, it shouldn't be that surprising because you add like you add in guys that we know are great and are proven as good. Like we're getting Kushida and Mike Bailey here. Like yeah. that changes a lot. That change that changes a lot of stuff here. That you know like people that have been good in like solid performers for New Japan in the last couple of years, like TJP and Francesco Akira. Like those guys are gonna go out there and there's like a floor to their matches because those guys are like super solid. And like guys like Doki, Robbie Eagles, uh, you mentioned you mentioned Taguchi. I think Leo Rush has had a has, has had a couple of uh, really solid matches. Um so I think looking at the uh I think looking at the field, I expected it to be a better year. But even that being said, it's kind of like blown away my expectations for it. Now, like, granted, like when you are watching a tournament like this, it's hard. It does become a slog at some point, despite like how good the wrestling can be. It becomes hard to watch. You're seeing the same guys, the same guys and guys over again, same match format, stuff like that. So it can be draining and a bit of a slog. But this is one of the better. This probably is the best. Uh, best of Super Juniors tournament I've seen at least since 2019. Yeah, that's probably pretty fair. Um, overall, I think that the field is just absolutely stacked, as you said. Things things do become repetitive, but a lot of people were clicking here. Even people who you mentioned, you know, in previous years were good. Like this year, really felt like they were clicking at another level. Um, and it it was a reminder that, like you said, that like at least for me, it was kind of a reminder that like, oh yeah, the best of the Super Juniors can be good. Because it's been, like you talked about the slog, just like so grinding of a slog that it's almost feels like not worth it. This is like, damn, like, oh, yeah, this is great. But yeah, Dan, what did you think? I think I get what you're saying about the slog, but in like, I don't know that's the best in that, like, of, because I'm going to include Best of Super Juniors and G1, but I think it might be the most easily digestible tournament I've ever watched all the way through of New Japan. Like, because I, I know that sounds crazy and like, it doesn't have the highs of a lot of the G1s that people love, but there's really nothing that's bad is, is more than like eight minutes. Like there's, I mean, I'm not saying everything's going to stick with you, but I haven't missed the show. I mean, I haven't watched the semifinals from earlier today uh, or late last night, however you, you know, say it, but I've watched everything else and it's just like, you just put it on and it's just all these guys having great matches or good matches at least. And then each individual story is for the most part, pretty great too. Like I thought you were going to say Taguchi was one of the down participants. And I was like, this is the most I've maybe ever liked Taguchi. 
Yeah. Um, no, I mean, he was he was fantastic. It's been a while since I've seen Taguchi this good in in this setting, you know. And I don't uh, I don't know about you guys, but I am not to high vote on Mike Bailey. Um, there's a while where I'm pretty sure he was wrestling four days, four times a day. Like I just saw Mike yeah. Bailey constantly, but I love him in this. I mean, he he stands out. Uh, like I said, Leo Rush stands out. Leo Rush, like, just needs to stay in New Japan. I mean, he has all the drama yes. over here, and you know, no showing or retiring, whatever he does. But like, he's right at home over here. And um, I will say the like, it is hard for me to say like, what should someone watch? Like, you should watch Night One, one hundred percent, all the way through, and then kind of just whoever you like you will like them in this tournament. They have standout matches. They have great matches. Um, uh, like I like, I like Despi, I like Desperado. And I think this has been his tournament. And I got excited thinking that he was going to win it all. I, 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 I worked myself into a shoot and I was like, Oh my gosh, he's going to the finals and he lost today. And I'm real sad about <laughs> that. But like, I'm engaged in this tournament. Like I was sad about a result. And I think that's cool. Yeah. Yeah, no, that and that match was really fucking neat. And I was like, I because I did watch the the semifinals and they were both really solid. I mean, Bailey Wato was was what it was. It wasn't as good as the Teton and uh, Desperado, but still very good. And as you talked about there with Bailey, I think me and Quentin are historically high on Bailey, and you know, I think a little bit lower on him in like kind of the modern era or the the most recent. And that's not even to say that I don't think that he's still very good. I'm just not gaga for him. Um, but that said, yeah, like this is a nice fresh setting for him. Um, it's something that he excels at in a, in a really good way. It's something that I think you kind of get to see and got to see over the years, especially like in WXW when any of the tournaments that he would be in, like, from ambition to tag league, you know, or, or 16 care, any of the tournaments over there, you could really see where he excels. And he did it in PWG as well. I get to see it live, like in Bola and stuff. It's like tournament settings work really well for him because again, the, the shoot background, the martial arts thing, and the way that he mixes doing a lot of, you know, his stuff and his spots against different opponents in different settings. He's very thoughtful about laying things out and interactions with people to where it fits with who he's against um, he just really seems like he loves that side of things, and that's why he really shines in these settings. It's again, it comes from that, you know, real experience in actual tournament settings. You know, in real, you know, real martial arts, you do like real kind of tournament type settings, things like that, and then being really, really engaged in showing that stuff off. And he's always really excelled at that, and he did it especially here on this. But you mentioned it, Leo Rush. I mean, Jesus Christ, breath of fresh air. I hate to even, you know, compare this because it feels, you know, whatever, trite or this and that. But it it really does remind me in a lot of ways of like ACH where you talk about all that drama and all that stuff and that it kind of goes out the window in Japan because, you know, I have my issues with Japan and I've talked about it and I don't believe that it's this, you know, the magical kingdom where everything is perfect like a lot of like weeb type people do. But I, I understand that Japan has tons and tons of issues. But the cool thing about being in Japan, I would assume for a black man is that like in America, the way that the culture works is that there's two races, there's white and there's black. And then everything else is like, depending on where it's like, you know, where it's, where it's convenient for them to be involved in the, in the kind of the oppression and the, you know, the, the war between those two races, you know, war, it might be extreme, but you know what I'm saying? The conflict between those two races, and that's always weighing on you. And for Leo, for ACH, 
for anyone who has those issues kind of at the forefront of their mind in America, when you're in Japan, it's like, oh, no, like over here, we're all just foreigners and they look down on all of us. So I can just be like the same as as that, you know, and it's like maybe it's a little bit easier. I don't know. I can't say I can't speak to someone's like, you know, mentality there, but it does kind of seem that way where it's just like you can just kind of be a little bit more free and perform and not necessarily have that same weight on your shoulders. And Leo was fucking amazing, like out the gate. From the first match until the end, just on fire, incredibly talented and has been for a very long time, obviously. Um, it's crazy to even think about how old Leo is now and how young he was when he started and how long I've been watching him and just thinking how great he is. Um, so, yeah, and, but I think that people like overlook like Clark Connors, like he really, really showed out here and was back in the swing of things. And I was kind of worried about how he was looking. Dan Maloney, I thought from the beginning he looked great. And I heard people being like shaky on him, but said he caught his footing by the end. And and I thought he was impressive the whole way through. Kevin Knight, fucking another one who really made a name for dude, himself. Master Watto, like, like Watto, like, yeah. Dude, like Watto. I've thought that so back so back when Watto was a young lion and on excursion like there was a bunch of people that just didn't think that he was good he comes back and he's put put in the put in the master Watto gimmick people aren't taking him seriously he's been a tag team with Taguchi and he's done some things been an IWGP junior tag champ and like has gotten things to do on cars but you know hasn't done much of note or gotten to do a lot as, as a singles guy and you give him a push here and take it and take it and take him as far as they've taken him in this tournament. And it's like, wait, like, did you? But I, I, like, I didn't, I for, like, you kind of forget that that guy, like, had potential or showed flashes of, like, being really awesome sometimes. And he's, and when you go and watch him versus speed versus speedball, like, this is, like, great. I love that match. And, you know, I, it makes, it makes you wonder, like, okay, like, how far is this? gonna go or is, are they gonna have him win the whole thing is that like the likely scenario here i don't know does this lead to him getting a junior a, a, a junior a junior title run probably no probably Hiromu has won the belt five times at this point they gotta like do more figure figure more out have someone there so Hiromu can possibly do more stuff i don't know but out of nowhere and like even like i feel like my, like wato's gotten to do some things but it hasn't been like like particularly like super protected or whatever in the booking for the last few years like so relatively out of nowhere it's like oh like this guy gets to do stuff now and he's doing really well when he's given the chances yeah um, um speak, speaking of whether or not he'll win the whole thing is that that's the other thing is that there i don't believe there's a single human that called this final like no. i, yeah, I just can't imagine like, like who like who would have like who would have predicted Watto versus Teton as like it's like, like it, yeah. it's, it, it's that's not something where you look at the bracket and you uh and you see and you see that coming like you could be like okay do they really want to run back Romo and Despi again uh do they really want to run back Romo Rob, and Robbie Eagles again do they really want to go forward with like pushing one of the United Empire guys super hard like you. But that doesn't lead you to thinking that it's going to be Watto versus Teton in the final. Like even when they made the like, semis, I was like, "Oh, it's it's Bailey and Despy." Exactly. Like, like no, I was like, wrong on both of them. Yeah, like at no point does like this as a possible final register in your head uh, to, T to Teton. Like 
uh, Teton has been a regular in these tournaments for the last for the last however many years. Um, even watching CMLL, like Teton's always like a treat to watch when he gets things to do, like with lightning matches or title matches or whatever. Like Teton's always like a guy that I really like watching. Can be a bit formulaic, but like a guy that I enjoy. I enjoy what he does in the wrestling ring. He's been like really good at it for ten for ten or so years now. He's a, he's extremely good, and every time he's been in New Japan, even though he's had good stuff, the best Teton, the best Teton, or like the Stuff that uh, might have stood out at the time with him wasn't like anything crazy in New Japan either. Like, there's been good stuff, but nothing like super out of this world. And like, I'm not even saying that he's like had a, a bunch of crazy out of this world stuff in this particular tournament. I did like the Hiromu, I did like the Hiromu match. I did like the Despy match. Um, but even Teton here, who's been like a perennial guy in this tournament for a while now. Coming, being given this type of a chance, this type of a, this type of a push, and making the most of it. I mean, he's had a really solid run when you go and look at it. Like from uh, from speed from Speedball to Leo to uh, Despi to Hiromu, like the guy had a really really solid run of stuff here. And his match with uh, TJP on night one, I really enjoyed that. Yeah, so he might he might so he might not be like the first person that you think of or the first person that you would have thought of coming into the tournament. Like, hey. I think Teton is going to be the MVP of the tournament. No one, like no one, thought that. But you get to this point, and it's like, wow! Like you give him something to sink his teeth into, and I think he's delivered every time. Yeah, I mean, I was coming into it expecting, I think, probably similar to what everyone was thinking was that this was just going to be another bog standard. Teton is here just to be here, as you said, fill out the bracket, and that was going to be it. And I've been a fan of his. For a while, you mentioned 10 years. And I looked at his career. The guy's been wrestling for 15 years, which is insane um, to even think about. And uh, and it was... I'm it pretty was sure like from... Fritz Devitt won his first Best of the Super Juniors he was in. That's probably That's how long ago we're not... talking. Yeah, 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 exactly. Like, it's not... That's probably not an insane thing. I'd have to double check, but you're probably right. That sounds about right. Um, and yeah, it's just, it, uh, that's what I was expecting, but no, like, and, and it really didn't think like it would be anything because Hiromu is the champion and they're in the same unit. So it's like, okay, why would they do anything with him here when the champion is in the same unit as him? He's not going to be anything. They're in the same block. And like, you've got Teton, Bailey, Watto and Despi in the finals. Teton and Bailey, both a block, you know, representatives beat Hiromu, the champion in the in the uh, you know block competition, so they're kind of both set when it comes to that. So you do kind of look at it and you go, okay, does Wato win the whole thing? Do they do they go with Teton and and it's so that Hiromu can get his win back? That doesn't, I don't know. Like I guess that would make the most sense in a weird way because otherwise, why would Teton challenge for the title against his stablemate unless he wins the tournament? And it's kind of like. He's supposed to. It's on rails for him to get the title, to get the title shot. But yeah, it did. It did definitely seem odd to end up here. But we end up here, and then that match that they had was great. Like Hiromu and Teton was a really, really kick-ass match. And and Quentin, you shouted it out there. It's like one of his better matches of the tournament. So doing it again in a bigger format on a big show, like give them a little bit more time. It could definitely be pretty cool. But like, who the fuck saw that coming? Like. Really, like I would not have predicted this at all, as as Dan really pointed out there. Like this was not, this does not make sense. 
I thought ba- I really thought Bailey was the chalk pick. I was like kind of like Bailey's gonna win the thing because he's the hot fresh thing, and you know yeah, there's some like there's some like there's some there's some name value to him. Like there's some freshness there. Like it's there's a lot that you could do with Mike Bailey being in that spot, and it's like yeah, no. What about Watso or Teton? (laughs) Yeah. Well, well, I guess we'll see. I still hope they. I want to see whoever wins versus Hiromu, obviously, but I think they can run back. Teton and Bailey and Leo Rush, those are all matches that if Takahashi yeah. keeps the title, I mean, they, they should run all those back. Oh, yeah, for sure. I think those are his three losses. Uh, yeah. A, a, a quick cage match search um, will show that Teton's first best of the Super Juniors was in 2013. Okay. Which, like, yeah, yeah which like, like 10 his, years his, ago. Yeah, like his first one. 10 years ago. <laughs> Like, oh. and it's not to say that he was he was he was in every single one since then. Like, he no. does that. There's a gap. He was in the super. He was a. Uh, he basically made some oh spot appearance. God. He made, made some spot appearances. Was there for the super junior tag, uh, for for a, a couple different times. Then, like, pretty much since 2019, he's been there pretty frequently. I would say. Well, still, yeah. maybe uh, a little on enough. Like, we, we we've seen him like four or five times though. Like, it's. It's a guy that we've seen in New Japan from the Fantastic Mania card, Super Junior Tag, wherever. Like we've seen Teton plenty of times, and you know, it just you never would have got the impression that this is where they would have ever went with anything. And here we are, and like I'm into it. This this now, what, what do you guys think of? Oh, okay. Oh. Oh, well, I'll just say, no, what do you guys think of Kushida's juice? Did you guys expect that? Like how how many losses he took? I didn't honestly like. I feel no. like so. The funny thing is, I I'm partial to this matchup, and actually, I say um, I say often that my favorite Kushida Hiromu match is actually the is actually their best of Super Juniors one, where like they had where we're doing where they were working the tie up for uh for the majority of the match. Oh yes, yes. Um, and I loved them revisiting uh facing each other. And best of Super Junior, like that's actually my favorite match of the tournament. Like I really, I love that match. Um, okay, I and... don't agree that it's my favorite one of the tournament, but I agree with you th- that it was fantastic. And I thought it was crazy because I actually saw her, whatever, someone like trying to be down on it, saying that there was nothing special here, and I thought it was fucking phenomenal. Yeah, like I so like I love that match. It's my favorite of the tournament so far, and I guess that's really what all I needed from the tournament. But like I can understand why I it surprised me why that that, that Kushida didn't do more, but I can understand why. Like Kushida is like was the face of the division for pretty for, for pretty much all like the of the latter half of the decade, um going into going into twenty and going into the twenty twenties. Like he was there and did a lot and doesn't particularly gain anything from being pushed and winning and winning over all the all of these guys. Um and I probably even feel like Kushida, like maybe even wanted to do that. <laughs> like I'm not, like I'm not sure, but like I, I, that wouldn't even, but like they wouldn't even uh, be something I would put past Kushida to feel like I don't care. Like I'll just go out there and wrestle. I don't care about like the the winning here. I'm already the uh, junior ta- the junior tag champ. Like whatever. Um, so I wouldn't have thought that on paper that Kushida would come in and uh, be used as sort of a loss post or maybe take more losses than we expected. But I think as it's worked out, even though he's near the like you know near the bottom or middling in the points, 
he still had a bunch of matches I thought were super good. Yeah, I I agree. I I did not expect them to treat him like this, especially like you talked about. He's been the junior tag champion. Um, he's been the ace of the division. You know, the thought that like this is penance, like it doesn't make any sense to be like this is penance for leaving or whatever, or, or showing disloyalty and all that. Like, I just think they wouldn't have like they wouldn't have pushed him at all if that was a a thing or whatever. I just like you said. I think I'm more with what Quentin is saying there that it's like, I don't think, I think that they need someone to take losses because there's so many people here that they were trying to get over fresh. There's so many people, even not even just outsiders that are being brought in for the first time. But as you talk about with like someone like Watto and Teton, where it's like, they're trying to like make in, you know, star or not stars, but trying to make wrestlers. I'm like doing the WWE thing where all the wrestlers are superstars, you know, calling them all stars, Um, but trying to make like wrestlers who have just been like on the roster and just there for a while, like trying to make them stand out with like kind of a fresh coat of paint and a push. So you need someone to take losses and you've got someone like Taguchi doing this storyline that, that lets him take a ton of losses throughout the tournament. And you've got someone like Kushida who probably does see himself as bulletproof and, and maybe we do get a ton of like cool tag team title defenses based off of losses in the tournament, because that was one thing that they did not, um, they did not shy away from during the tournament was that anytime someone beat Kushida or Kevin Knight, they made it very clear that they wanted a shot at the tag team titles because of it. So I do think that you've kind of set up a ton of really interesting and cool junior tag team title matches. I mean, it's new Japan. So what does that really mean? We're not going to get a ton of, cool anything with the junior tag team titles but with kushida and kevin knight being such a fun tag team i'm excited to see them wrestle a bunch of different people um but yeah i definitely uh i definitely agree but dan you brought it up but what were what was your thought on it because well, obviously you think something about it i just i was really not expecting it at all i thought with him and uh takahashi's history that he was going to be a bigger focal point. I see what you're saying about the tag title defenses and people taking losses, but I just, it just caught me off guard and I want to know what your thought processes was, but I will say I like, this is the kind I like. I like when there's a lot of guys that have like two points, zero points, four points, because sometimes when you sit through all these matches and it's, you know, night nine and you're reading, I can't keep track of, but you're reading someone's on Twitter or someone's article saying this guy wins and this happens. This guy wins. This happens. I hate when like seven guys are still alive. Cause I'm like, well, what was the point of all these shows? I just watched. Like, yeah, it is nice it to all, actually if, see, if, if everyone's see alive, something like, from it. Why, yeah. why do we watch all this? Yeah. yeah it's exactly. good that they it's like nice. these are the these are the top. Yeah. Yeah, these are the people who are performing, who are doing something. These are the people who are not, blah blah blah, whatever. Yeah, like breaking down. Um do you want to maybe talk about some standout? The one the funny thing here is we kind of like talked about standouts and performers and things and this and that. And nobody mentioned it, so I, I have to because it my performer of the whole tournament and my standout of the whole thing was Robbie Eagles. Like, I mean, you know, it speaks to my taste in wrestling, obviously. And Robbie is just, I, I like to call him the, the sniper of the, of the thighs. Cause he, you know, goes after the legs uh, at, uh, at every chance he gets. Um, like he just, he came into the fucking tournament looking in the best shape that I've ever seen him. He had the focus and the narrative in every fucking match. My match, like standout match of of the the whole thing was probably him versus Despy. It was just the dueling limb work between the two, the way that they're both masters of that kind of thing, mixing kind of the high flying with the high impact and the 
the ground mat based leg attacks, like doing all of that stuff in that direction. It's so cool to see two guys who can do high flying, high impact and grappling with it all having a focus, um, just phenomenal stuff and just some of the best shit ever. And I was just I thought I was blown away by how good really how good Robbie was like he to me was the standout Clark Connors. Clark Connors and Robbie had a great match. Clark Connors as well looked really good as I talked about. So yeah, like Dan Maloney, Robbie, like Robbie just to me, he was the standout. All of his matches looked great. He had that focus. The big one that was interesting to me and was another one that really kind of got to me was Francisco Akira against Robbie, but also against Desperado. Um, Because I just found it very, very weird and kind of, I don't know what the, deal was and partially it was the commentary and the english commentaries you know whatever because it's hard to say because how clued in on there on the stories and how much are they not but francisco akira throughout the tournament really felt like they were subtly turning him because of like all of united empire is kind of turning right and it feels like they're going more and more babyface with the group and it's just so interesting to me because the desperado akira match felt like a very clear and obvious like match that was meant to try to turn the crowd on him and turn him into a sympathetic baby face that the crowd would get into. And I absolutely loved it and adored it, but I thought it was so weird that like remembering when Akira came into new Japan and joined um, the United empire and the, t- the, the rap and everyone was saying like, is this guy going to be able to pull off being a heel because he's such a natural baby face. And it feels like he's gotten so good at being a shitty heel that, you know, just comes across like such a fucking prick that like they went out of their way to try to turn him back babyface. And the rest of United Empire, it didn't feel like they put any effort into trying to turn them face. And it's like, why are they putting so much effort into trying to turn Akira when he's the one who came into this as the most natural babyface? Like he's such a good babyface. They're like, why did why is he the only member of, of United Empire that they put this much effort into turning? But obviously, I would say to that that, like, um, you know, like he's really only came in and like done like junior tag title stuff. So it's easy to like, you know, not like maybe overlook him at some point in time. But the way that they debuted Francesco Akira, like a guy that was jumping over from all Japan and did some other stuff in uh in like in like Renfro or whatever, but like a guy that was jumping over from from all from all Japan ostensibly, like. And the way they debuted him in a pretty significant manner for like junior standards, like he's someone that I always thought that like there was plans for. So like you know you really wanted to like ride like the hot hand that you were getting from like the Despies and Hiromu being healthy and Robbie Eagles uh, being super popular. So you wanted to like really uh, milk milk that for what it was worth, but. I think that Francesco Akira, like when you go back to like how he came into the company, that there was always plans for him. And I think that this is just like like uh, more so a reflection of like how they've always viewed him, and that this is just like the time in which they're like, okay, like let's start planting the seeds for Francesco Akira as a as a as a singles act. Yeah, that 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 does make sense. Um, oh yeah, Dan, I went on a bit of a diatribe there. I don't know if you have any thoughts on it. No, uh, I mean, that Despi Akira match is, is my match of the tournament. Um, I thought it was amazing. Fantastic. And it's funny because okay. I'm, I, you know, I'm always praising means, you know, on our t- talking attorneys, it's always like, 
you know, you don't need matches to go over 20 minutes, especially tournament matches, but, and that's probably, it's gotta be, if not the longest, one of the longest matches of the tournament. And, but I loved it. It was, I don't particularly care about Akira one way or the other. He's always just kind of been a guy to me. And I cared about him in that match. Like that, that last five minutes is amazing. And then, uh, and it's, it would probably kill the crowds, but like they should just run all the best super junior shows at Kurgan. Like, <laughs> yeah, they just, yeah, you know, like insane. Yeah. It's yeah. I mean, it's it's the big difference. It's like the standout nights for me are night one, and uh, I can't remember what night that was. I was at night seven or eight. Uh, I think it was eight that that match was on. Where it's like when they're in Kirk and like the, the crowds are better, the shows are better. Yeah, that's uh, a. Um, outside of that, I think true. Leo Rush Takahashi, I really liked. Um, like I said, it's really hard to just is like. Yeah, those are like they were. There's there's just a lot of standout stuff, and like I said, Clark Connors is like he's another guy who I don't know that I had a huge opinion on coming into this. Like I like him, I'm I'm interested in him, and then like he on another on a, in a different best of Super Junior tournament, he'd be one of the big stories coming out of this. Yeah, no, um, you're right, you're right about that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think that's all I got for. I mean, standout matches. Like <laughs> I said, it's it's hard because there's there's it's almost like I feel like I I have to name twelve. Yeah, exactly. There's a yeah. ton, and then it's like it's like standout. Like we we've been talking about standout performers is kind of the thing. It's kind of like who who was really giving you something throughout the throughout the tournament and throughout uh, the, go, the uh, going back to Clark go Connors. Um, I'll echo Tim sentiment about how after, at a certain point you're like, oh, okay, I'm getting a little worried here. You know, bullet you know Bullet Club, the um fucking Steve Irwin look. Like, like I guess whatever he's been doing for the last for the, for the last uh, year or so, uh, it's like okay, like I like the guy, but I'm not really sure if they have any real plans or ideas on what to do with him. And like, he could easily be like the odd man out, and he is one of the lesser stories of the tournament. But I think for uh, definitely like proved that he belongs, that he's not just like the uh LA dojo guy that they're trying to tack on or whatever like that. He's he's a he's a real guy that if you give him chances and maybe find a better uh a better act for him, he could be a more meaningful contributor. He was always my favorite uh my favorite young lion from the LA dojo. So it was a little bit disheartening to see like the direction he was going in for a bit. But I think this uh re re reignited my faith in him as a talent that if you give him something that I think that he can figure it out. Yeah. And, and yeah, that don't forget, like you're talking about the, the, the say, let's say floppish, his flop era, um, the kind of doughy pasty looking Clark Connors that showed up for the, the IWGP TV title match with Zach was not promising. It was just like, Oh no, this is not the guy, but now the neon pink, cowboy hat wearing you know male stripper tan fucking cut clark connors there's legs to that and that was always kind of the thing that made him stand out like i think clark connors is a phenomenal wrestler i believe that he can do the technical grappling and he has shown that he can do it in like the zach match and in other settings and that's why you say like he's the one that stands out to us because i know that he's very talented like that but his vibe and his personality and and his in-ring really stands out he needs to play this kind of again magic mike kind of 
I, I hate to say it, like he's a male stripper kind of vibe dude it really works for him to play that like sexy boy character and like otherwise it's like i don't want to see clark connor's like looking like you know what was what does uh, Simon call him? Lloyd Boy Boykiss or whatever the 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 child hunter Saint James Saint James or whatever like that's not what I'm looking for from Clark Connors like I want to see Clark Connors looking like this and this is like the perfect mix of of the in ring and the look and all of that that works out Dan Maloney similar thing a guy who I think on another tournament in a in a tournament in the past like three or four years where it's been down and everything's been whatever. Would have been a standout, but with how much happened here, he doesn't really stand out, but still tons of really solid performances there. And, and you know, Doki, I mean, I, I think I tweeted this out, but it's like, I love New Japan because as soon as they start pushing El Desperado, it's like, okay, we have a new El Desperado where I can be like, oh, Doki deserves better. They should be pushing this guy because he's so good. <laughs> like, that's, I, I love that about New Japan. Um, so, yeah, um, either way. Best of the Super Juniors. The final will come up. We'll talk about the one match. Maybe we'll do it next week or maybe later on. But the final itself and where they go from there. And uh, it's pretty much summed up. If you guys have any other last thoughts, we can move on to uh, King of DDT. Uh, no, I'm good. Um, Jess, if you're someone that's put off by like the length of these tur- uh, the length of these tournaments and how many matches it is, uh, really just pick a few guys and you can't go wrong with cherry picking it. Like if you're into Mike Bailey, if you're into Robbie Eagles, if you're into uh, Despy or Leo Rush, like you, re- you really can't go wrong. Um, I mean, unless you're like watching show matches, like you can't, you can't, you, you can't, you can't, you can't, you can't really go wrong here. Like it's uh, there's 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 a lot to enjoy. Oh, Quentin, before we move, what do you think about Yo and his like vinyl pervert gimmick? Because I realized that like his nickname is Direct Drive, which is like a record player thing, and he's wearing like a mod jacket, and he's kind of like his gimmick seems to trying to be like he's like a, uh, you know, like a kind of a Britophile, Anglophile, like into the like seventies era. So he's Flash Morgan Webster thing, basically. Yeah. What do you think about Yo being Flash Morgan Webster? Um, you know, it's a thought that I haven't had to confront. (laughs) <laughs> and I think as I'm thinking about this, I'm pretty sure Flash Morgan Webster is better than Yo. There's not a conversation I mean, I ever. Yeah, yeah. There's not a thing I thought I've ever had to like think about. But I'm pretty right. sure Flash Morgan Webster is better than Yo. Yeah, definitely fair. Dan, do you have any final thoughts before we move on? No, I think just what you guys are saying. Like you know, if you like a guy in this tournament, you're probably gonna like every match he had. There's just that I almost wanted to say i think it needed more bad matches <laughs> which that is crazy help. to say but like maybe so i can have more stuff to complain about i love to complain i just i don't really have any complaints <laughs> i mean even the even the show stuff i never want to see it again but it didn't most of the time it was eight minutes and it's like you know that's nothing that's the that's the weird thing about this podcast and podcast that i've done and that quentin has done for years and stuff is like all the other a lot I shouldn't say all, but a lot of the other podcasts, right? Like your your prototypical Brian and Vinny thing where it's like, you know, oh, we want something to complain about. That's what like that's what people are listening for. And I love it. I like listening to that stuff, but like me and Quentin in general are not good at that. <laughs> like we're just not. Like if we're gonna re- if we review a show that's bad, we'll just be like, it sucks and it's boring and we don't want to talk <laughs> about it. 
like our show is about talking about stuff that we like and is good and that's where you get like weird insights where we go on diatribes talking like comparing stuff to like you know literature and, and things like this you know of that of that elk and really get into it like we're not it's it's funny because so many other podcasts are the other way and like we're not toxic positivity because neither one of us are like everything's great right and some of our best like performing podcasts that people talk about are us like doing cultural critique on gcw for fucking you know ripping off you know cultures and and things like that like that's what the stuff that people enjoy but when it comes to like reviewing wrestling we would much rather talk about wrestling that we like than wrestling that we don't like um but yeah the, the term I, mean, I don't want to use more bad matches I don't want to like in the middle of your podcast talk about how great your podcast is, but you know I'm a fan. I've mentioned it in the past, yes, yes. and uh, that's it. the reason. But I will say that me and Sam, why we do, we are toxic negativity a lot of times. Like even we <laughs> reviewed the WWA show, like that wasn't fun. Like we're like we want it to be a little bad, and that's kind of fun. To be like this sucked. <laughs> this, that show was all bad. And, like that was a bad time. Like I, we were done. Like, we we need to find something fun to watch. That that brought me down. Yeah, for sure. Well, um, I don't think there's I don't think there's a show like this in this tournament. I mean, there's shows where they're a little oh no samey, but there's not a bad show. No, 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 no. I mean, no, because the 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 propensity of all the matches are good. Like, there's it's just really hard to say that there's a bad show because it's just a ton of good matches. Like, really, um, King of DDT twenty or two thousand. Yeah, I guess twenty twenty three. Whatever, my brain is. <laughs> mush i told you dan you didn't have to drink but that didn't mean i'm not um i was thrown off <laughs> for a bit and forgot that this is not the do grand prix and thought that it was a round robin tournament so i was waiting after the you know night one and night two i was waiting for like more nights and then it was a long time and then it was just the finals and i was like what the fuck happened and then i realized that it's a single elimination tournament um so quentin dan I know you guys both watched the final night show, but did you guys both watch all of the preceding matches? I did. Um, I know okay. we'll talk about them at least um, at least a little bit. Sure. But obviously, uh, my main takeaway is Haguchi still might be yes. the best wrestler in the world. So, yes. <laughs> you know, just you know, like just 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 just, just a lot of confirm- confirmation on things. Mm-hmm. Post smooth Haguchi's in the chat, everyone. Like this is what we want to see more smooth Gucci. This guy is amazing. Dan, what what about you? Uh, I mean, I watched all of the first round, and then I watched just the second round matches from that second show, and then I watched all of the last show. Um, I mean, similar. I actually find myself. I will always watch, you know, Joseph's YouTube videos, and I hear him talk about DDT, and sometimes I don't get what he gets, and like that almost lets me down. Where I'm like, man, I wish I I liked this. But I wish I liked it the way he liked it. Well, this was great. This, I like I I probably haven't watched DDT in months, and I'm back in right now. So yay for me! I Another promotion it. to follow. <laughs> yeah, I appreciate that. I kind of I sent something out there along these lines, and it really shows up, and especially in this year's King of DDT, that like the problem that DDT is having right now is that they have too many great wrestlers who are like really good in ring wrestlers, and they only really have about like three to five spots normally for good wrestlers you know like they don't really push more than that many like great in-ring wrestlers at a time um so it's like it's really tough but like when you look at this tournament and from the you know the first round and the second round it's like this is the best ddt roster when it comes to in-ring that there's been in in quite a while like 
realistically like th this is just a ton of really really talented in-ring wrestlers and it's just tough for a company like this who does not focus on you know good wrestling like they need to it's almost like they need a subdivision instead of having like you know basara and choco pro and and gato move and and tjpw and all this other stuff going on that Gunbari like circles pro. around yeah like ganbari pro all that stuff like they need to have like a i guess they need to have heat up or something back where they have like uh, a subdivision that's for like good wrestling because they have a ton of really good wrestlers. Dude, Yuki Ueno versus Naruki Doi is in the first <laughs> yes. round of this, and like <laughs> that's really good. Like it's fucking Ueno versus Doi, and like no one might talk about Doi yeah. as much now because it's not like he's been like doing a ton of super important stuff in DDT. It's not like he's in open weight title contention or doing a lot of stuff like that. But it's fucking Ueno versus Doi. And it's it's yeah. really good, and that's on the that's like the main event of the first night. That's yeah. really good. <laughs> it was insane how great that match was. Yeah, like yeah, Dan. I think you're right, and that's what happens in DDT is that like I will watch this and I'll be like, oh my god, I love twelve of these guys, and then yeah. you know I'll watch a show probably two months from now where like eight of these twelve are all in one match, and then like three of them aren't on the show, yeah. and then I'm not a fan of what else is going on. So I'm like, oh yeah. Yeah, it's it's really tough because yeah, like you look at the first round, um, Gooch as you talked about Higuchi versus Okada was you know Cop Okada was fucking insane, referee decision knockout like just fucking killer, Okatani and uh, Shunma and that leads to a match that we'll talk about on the finals because like Okatani gets the win here and earns a shot at the hardcore title which is. A crazy thing to happen for Okatani because up until this point, we have not seen anything from Okatani in that, you know, like going that way. Um, Takagi and Sakaguchi, which is like with the Takagi story that's going on where he's, you know, thinking about wrapping it up and trying to be serious before he's, you know, sunsets uh, on, I guess, I don't, I, I guess, Quentin, do you know? exactly what's going on with Takagi like is the idea that he wants to retire on his 30th anniversary uh, I'm not sure that that's that's, that's kind of what it seemed like to me but I'm not sure yeah yeah I haven't been following it exactly to be 100% I wasn't sure if you knew that but yeah like doing like playing off of that Chris Brooks versus Hiroshima which is like a dream match for like 2012 Tim right like something that I would have just like been chomping at the bit for and a great thing to set up for where for the tournament story that they're doing with Chris Brooks. Sorry guys, I'm like power pushing through all this. Do you guys want to talk about any of that stuff? Uh no, I mean like like I said, I mentioned the uh, the main one being um uh Doi and Ueno, yeah. which, which I was super super interested in. Um and then like I like the uh, I like Taguchi's match. Uh uh well match well matches, but uh I think the main stuff really is coming down to that uh to that fine to that final night, yeah, yeah. Uh, Dan, anything? Like, uh, I mean, from similar. There, from there, I mean, I, I, yeah, I thought the like. I don't know DDT as well as you know maybe everyone watching tournament, but like Chris Books beating Hiroshima in the first round is great. Um, I thought for sure that Junakima uh, Akiyama would would lose that first round match. Like, just I'm like, oh, you know, right? And it was a big deal here, and so that uh that that upset was cool, and then the main event was. The best match on the show, I think. Um, yeah. But yeah, no, it was it was, it was a great of, first night. It was you know you know like I said like all this is such easy watching. I mean it sounds like I'm being repetitive, but 
Like <laughs> I don't like I didn't re- I'm not really super familiar with like I don't watch a lot of the hardcore stuff from GDT. So like I don't know uh Shunma that well, but like I love the first round match they had and I love the match they have in the final night. Yeah. I'm excited to talk about that with you guys. Yeah. Now. Yeah. And it is also interesting with the way that the you know the the match ends. Um second round you get Ueno versus Kotaro Suzuki. Solid, but you know, with the heights of Ueno and Doi and and kind of what we get on the final night, it's not the best Ueno performance. Akiyama and Mao. Um seeing Mao live has really reignited my passion for how much I actually think Namao is like a good wrestler again. It's kind of weird, but I've really been enjoying him more. Um and the tag stuff with Shunma has been solid. Akiyama, obviously, all-time living legend, so never disappoints. Brooks and Takagi again. This is I think this is part of why DDT is so great, man. In these tournament settings, they do such a good job of telling these stories. And Chris Brooks and, and Takagi, like the setup and where we're at with both guys and what's going on. And and Chris Brooks getting the win the way that he does in a really dominant fashion over Takagi. Like, I didn't see it at the time. I'm not saying like I predicted it, but it really was clear. Like, they're doing something here with Brooks. Like, they're making an effort to 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 really, like, elevate him into something and then Haguchi and Okatani was like um absolutely insane brutal offensive violence um I've talked Quentin I think you probably remember I've mentioned like the Walter Gravara match that in person and how it like I had to have a long yeah. hard think with myself after seeing the brutality up close in person like that Haguchi and Okatani was almost to that level and it was just it was crazy because it just did not make sense to me that Okatani was standing up toe to toe with him in that way. And then it does make sense when you go into the final and see he was trying to prove something about his toughness. Um, but yeah, I don't know if you guys had any thoughts about the night two. No, I, yeah, I, I, re- I really liked it. And honestly, like that Haguchi Matt, that, that I'm, I'm not sure that match is super far off from like the things that I saw him do in the final night, honestly. Like in terms of like my enjoyment of it and like Higuchi's performance and um just like the yeah. violence of it that I that I enjoyed. Like maybe Higuchi is more impressive in the final night, but like I don't think that ma- that match is even super far off from like the Brooks no. stuff or the UNO the UNO stuff. No, yeah. It was it was definitely you know Higuchi in that same just this Terminator killer Higuchi character situation but Dan what do you have any thoughts on night two well you said you didn't call the Brooks thing well I called it I was so confident like oh I see what they're doing he's gonna end up losing in the semis of the finals like this is just look how great he is like but it's not his (laughs) year yet I was so confident like I was like well I know where this is going and then same thing with the finals the or not the finals the the main event of second round which uh, I actually think, like you talked about, my taste for deathmatch earlier. This that's this is almost a harder watch than the deathmatch on the next night. Like yeah. I don't know, like yeah. I think it's, it's just, I think it's easier to get stabbed than it is to let Higuchi do that <laughs> yeah. stuff to you. No, it's not nice. I don't want to let him do that. He's it's, he is just. <laughs> I mean, Higuchi really is just an all time ass kicker, and this shaved head Higuchi is just. I mean, this is on a whole nother level. Like this is violence and brutality that we have not seen from a guy who's just already been so fucking insane uh god it's just it's mind-boggling to even think about um all right let's 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 get through this night 
the the final night. Um, I'm gonna skip the pre-show stuff. Do you guys care? Do you want to talk about pheromones and all this? Oh, I didn't watch that. Oh no, no I'm good. good. Yeah, fuck all that. All right, we open up. <laughs> we open up the night with more wanton, fucking chaotic, aggressive violence from Higuchi, but up against a much more game and I don't know mature Ueno like Ueno has been through the ringer like from a couple years ago you know Nautilus Ueno first you know uh, universal title champion Ueno clean babyface Ueno he's not that guy anymore he's definitely a lot more like I said he's been through the ringer he's a lot more game he's a lot more able to stand up against someone like Higuchi um which might be worse for him in the long run when it comes down to it because Haguchi's like, oh, okay, you think you know what to expect from me? You think you're ready for this? I'm just going to fucking bring it even harder than I ever did before. And you're going to really find out what I'm all about. And it's funny because there's a point where like they do a slap contest and you ne- I I can't say I've ever seen Haguchi do this. He laughs in his face and responds with a, just an even bigger slap. And Haguchi has never been that kind of wrestler he's never been you know that kind of you know the vader you know the evil maniacal laughing over domineering over boss kind of wrestler that's not haguchi's thing but he did it here against ueno and he's just like yeah you you don't you're not ready for what's coming for you and just unleashes violence and onslaught and ueno again like i said he's game and he's not backing down he doesn't shrink he doesn't oversell for a guy that me and quentin have talked about as being you know one of the best babyface sellers in all of wrestling he does not really just die he's constantly fighting he's trying to stand toe to toe and when it really comes down to it at the end of it even after all of that it doesn't feel it feels honestly like the least dominant haguchi win of the entire tournament and feels the most like haguchi kind of pulled something off and didn't just steamroll someone the way that it felt like he did throughout the rest of the tournament. And I did find that very interesting. Um, I guess, Quentin, what were your thoughts? Um, just to piggyback off of that, like I think that is, at its best, that's what DDT is so good at because of how directly this bleeds into the final. Because Higuchi looked like such a, mon- a monster among like, the rest of the roster, like this former KOD uh, K- uh, KOD champion just coming here and just looking like an absolute force. And Ueno, who is athletic and talented and has done, ac- accomplished a lot since um, he's already, he's already get pushed, but has never had like that mean killer streak or anything is just a lot different than you, than the, than the Ueno that we've seen in years past. And, uh, just felt more like a well-rounded main event guy, like a guy that was ready to take a leap and become, uh, become become something here. Like to the point where, like, I'm almost kind of surprised that Yuano didn't win. <laughs> like, it, like, like, like that's how yeah. good he looked here versus Saguchi. That it's like almost like, oh, like if he's gonna look this good here, then I almost think he should just win this match and win the whole thing. But. He doesn't, you know, leave some leave some room to do other things in the future down the line. Build him, build him up some more. Maybe by the time we do the KOD, uh, the KOD Grand Prix. But Ueno here was just really, really good, and 
Higuchi, who we marvel at all the time for his selling, like does another amazing job of it here, but it feels really, really earned. Like maybe you can say Higuchi does it all the time for people, and um, you know, maybe he should like scale back on how giving he is. But I think with Ueno, like it felt really earned. And Ueno just leaves this match looking like a million bucks. And like it bleeds perfectly well into the finals when you talk about how damaged and vulnerable Higuchi feels coming at, uh, coming off of this match. And you take that into uh, the Brooks one, like, uh, spoiler alert, Brooks winds up winning uh, the King of DDT. And like, even though Brooks was impressive and Brooks did impressive things like beating Junakiyama on this night, like, it took Higuchi getting his fucking ass kicked, really, for Brooks to be able to pull this off. So, like, it's not that it takes away from Brooks's win, but it puts that it puts that asterisk there, like, and you know, like maybe maybe Higuchi just came in too like too damaged to really put up like a ton of a fight or to fight off Brooks the way that like under normal conditions he would have, and that's the like, really really good, really good thing about tournament wrestling sometimes. Yeah, that's what really makes this kind of stuff so much better. Dan, what were your thoughts? Uh, I mean, I'm gonna echo what you guys said, and like, it is the tournament aspect, like it is the tournament storyline where, and you said he wasn't this way, but it, to, I know it seems like, but it almost is like he is the big bad overboss, he is the monster, in this tournament, even though he only had the dominant first round match, and now he's getting you know, not as dominant dominant in this round with you you know, uh, really taking it to him. It felt like a monster getting attacked. Like it felt like chinks, you know, being put in his armor where I was like, you know, once Higuchi won, it's like, I was like, Oh man, whoever wins the next match has a real chance to win this because that he just came out of a war and, uh, not to bleed right into the next match, but it kind of felt like Brooks and Akiyama play into that where they both wanted to win quickly. We're almost saying like, we, we, we win, we go face Higuchi. Who's not at his best right now. Yeah, yeah. Please, I mean, go ahead and bleed into just your full. Yeah, I mean on the that match. like that was uh, Brooks and Akiyama was awesome. It was uh, like the the urgency, like the urgency of this is our first round, this is our first match tonight. We're gonna win and have to go to the final. They both did it great. Um, again, I wasn't the hugest Chris Brooks guy coming into this, um, and he impressed me, and he got to take down another legend. Like it, it worked perfectly for his story, and with him taking down another legend with Higuchi being hurt, I had no idea. Who would, who would win? I was just like, you know, is, is this the end of Brooks's story? Is is Higuchi too hurt? Like, what's going to happen? I just thought I thought it was brilliant, and you know, I'm a, I'm a fan of tournaments. You know, that's why I'm here, and that's fantastic tournament booking. Yeah. Well, okay. You said you know he had a chance to take down a legend, and I mean, we're talking about this DDT show, and not the Bakagaijin where he was wrestling Hyper Masao. So, Dan, I don't know why you're bringing up <laughs> stuff from different shows. Um, but no, yeah, I, I definitely agree with kind of your thoughts there. And I think a big part of it, like this is the perfect matchup for Brooks in this setting here, which is that like um, he's this, you know, historically known for, you know, the calamari catch king. He's known for his, you know, being able to grapple and mat wrestle and be a smart worker. He's going up against this all time wily KG veteran now at this point, who's is not just he's not just this amazing veteran who's learned so much over the years. He's also, he's a veteran of, Oh God, I don't even want to check. Like I just thought about it. I'm like, I don't even know how long 30 years, the veteran, this all time 
cagey veteran of 30 years who isn't just a great vet, but he was a super rookie. He is in that conversation for the greatest rookies of all time. You know, he's the honorary pillar. He's he's one of the most amazing, you know, careers that exists in the history of wrestling when it really comes down to it. And if you want to make something of yourself, if you want to really say Chris Brooks is coming out and he's something, he's got to like take this guy apart. And as you talked about, he really just goes out there, hell for leather, trying to end it quick. But this match ends up going longer than the, than the, uh, the Higuchi Ueno match. So it is funny to think because they wrestle at a clip that feels like they're trying to rush through this and just kill each other. And uh, and Brooks kind of loses the focus that you would expect because clearly that's what he's thinking. And instead, he ends up getting himself fucking pile driven by Akiyama. He ends up eating multiple fucking running knees. He ends up getting exploder suplexed onto his dome like all of that while trying to like rush through this. And he ends up taking longer and in a weird way, kind of going through a more hellacious war just in a different way. So yeah, see, I had no it, idea it was longer until I pulled up the cage match. It felt like a quicker match to me. I, right. I think just because of the speed they were going at. Yeah. So it is an, it is an interesting dynamic there and it does tell a kind of a different story. Um, but yeah, Quentin, what were your thoughts on this one? Oh uh, yeah. Like I was surprised to like, see like the wait, that, that went 11 minutes. Like that, that doesn't feel right. That doesn't feel like an accurate representation of how quickly this match flew by as I was watching it. But um, that's a every, testament to how every <laughs> single one of you needs to put respect on my man Chris Brooks's name. He went eleven minutes hell for leather with Jun Akiyama, and it felt like a fucking sprint. Yeah, I mean, like that's that's a te- that's a testament to like how engaging and great this was. That like an eleven minute match felt like it might have been six minutes. Like, I I honestly wouldn't have would, would have told you, oh, yeah, the, the match was seven minutes. That, yeah, so again, seeing that it went 11 is uh, kind of is really, is really funny here. But no, I, I, lo- I love this. And, um, yeah, you know, for as protected and accomplished as Brooks is in DDT, um. This is a significant thing. This is a real significant thing here. And like obviously like sets up what will happen in the final, but it's significant here. Like Brooks beating Akiyama. Akiyama is a guy that just doesn't take losses like that very often. And Brooks being someone that gets to have a win here over June, like that is a testament to like one the push that they're giving him and how much they do trust and value and value Brooks. He's been someone that they've valued in the booking for pretty much as long as he's been there. And I think it may, maybe it was just a matter of time of him getting to do like important things again and stuff like that. But um, yeah, I thought that this was really, really good. And Brooks, he's, he's always been a weird guy. Like not in terms of like, it's hard to really gauge what he's best at. Like, is he a natural baby face? Is he, better as a heel is he better working in control is he better selling like you don't really know and like i would kind of is he a technical wrestler or is he a brawler right is he he a deathmatch guy is is he a gimmick match guy like you he's kind of a jack of all trades master master of none and i'm not saying that in in a derogatory way when i say the master of none part but like he's just kind of well balanced in everything that you're not really sure what to categorize brooks as and that's what makes him like super valuable 
because he is malleable and you can place him into any situation and he works and he fits and it's just a matter of time where he'll get that particular thing over. And when you make him here, you're going to face June and be the super sympathetic baby face that you get your fucking ass kicked. Like that works perfectly because Brooks is likable enough and sells decently enough to like make that work. Yeah. I mean, you talk about that, like as a utility player, as a, you know, fits everything guy, like, I don't know that there's too many wrestlers better than Brooks. Like, if you're building out a roster, if you're building out something, and especially in the kind of indie wrestling punk rock ethos thing, like, I don't know that there's a better guy than you want than Brooks. And here's the thing, because I'm not just talking about as a character, as a wrestler, because there is a ton there. And you talked about just that, like his in-ring, all this. But there's also the side of this with Brooks that's interesting, too, because even physically, like with his height and his size, okay, like, you know, he's very tall, but he's also really slim. So it's like he can be a giant, you know, dominant power guy, or he can also be kind of like he's very skinny. So he can look like he can sell and be very sympathetic and be an underdog. Like it's it's really like. Okay, he can do all of that. But then you look at behind the scenes. Like, this is the guy who, before anyone knew who Chris Brooks was as a wrestler, he was making shirts for Chris Hero, right? Like, so you've got a guy who, if you do have him on your roster, you can, okay, do graphic design. Make cool shirts. Make cool merch. Make cool gimmicks for us to sell. Okay. And then also, oh, fuck, this guy was the head booker of Attack Pro Wrestling when it was the best that it ever was. This guy was the head booker of... Fight Club Pro when it was at the best that it ever was. This is the guy who's like booking, you know, this Baka Gaijin company in Japan now. This guy does commentary on TJPW and Gato Move. Like this guy can do everything, everything, anything you could ever imagine. Like, and this is not saying like, oh, Tony Khan, you know, rack up the Brinks truck and hire this guy because that's my whole point when I say when it, you're talking about punk rock independent on the fringes. Chris Brooks is your fucking man. That's why he's the perfect DDT wrestler, really, because they're still, even though they're owned by a giant company, they're still like patchwork, punk rock, DIY, and he just, he's perfect. He fits into this vibe so well because he is booking fucking, like, basically like 666 shows in bars doing this (laughs) retarded stuff. I shouldn't say that word, but doing this just very dumb thing the match that i mentioned where he wrestled hyper masao on the bakagaijin show the match finished with him setting off firecrackers on her back and doing a fucking senton onto them like what the fuck (laughs) this guy is just so crazy i love chris brooks man and see that's kind of it's because for me like i said i'm not as avid watcher dt and i never was a big uh uk wrestling fan so like i I'm kind of popping. I'm seeing Chris Brooks, you know, every two, three, four months sometimes. So going into this, it's kind of like I was kind of thinking, like, where is Chris Brooks slotted in DDT? What is his role? And like, it's just fun to watch, like, what his role is. I mean, whatever he wants it to be right now. Like, his role is like future champion. His role is like he can fit into any of these matches. I mean, he's like, I, I, I became like the best of super juniors. Maybe they're trying to make Master Wado. That's not maybe not working 100% for me. But this works for me where I'm like, I'm a Chris Brooks guy. Like, yeah. 
I and and that. I mean, I'm, I'm a Do Not Yama guy, so like I was sad to see him lose, but I was like, this is awesome. Let's get to these finals. I'm going to recommend some tournaments for you and Sam to review with Chris Brooks, so you can really, really see the greatness of early Chris Brooks. Because there's some, there's definitely some stuff in there, some old Tetsujin tournaments, some stuff like that that you guys, I think you guys would love. Um, follow this up. We've got Burning versus Damnation. Um, do you guys have a ton to say about this? No, I forgot that that was Chris Brooks in that Tetsujin tournament with uh yeah yeah with that Jack Gallagher yeah mm-hmm. oh man yeah I didn't even yeah. put that together I want to we definitely have to rewatch that for the show for Turkey Talking Talking oh, yeah. sorry to go back to that but oh. I just I didn't even like that was so long ago I didn't like put it together in my mind <laughs> yeah that was the Chris Brooks that I really early on really loved and I that's why I always talk about how great I think he is as a technical wrestler I mean if you guys t- do Tetsujin I mean I know I was the first guest but. You know, I will, I'll always come back, and Tetsujin is like a. Uh, that's definitely one that I would enjoy coming back for. Um, but yeah, no, I mean, there's there's other there, I mean, there's other tournaments that he did. There's like some tag team tournaments with him and uh, Kid Lycos that are really good. There's actually there's a. <laughs> this is not Chris Brooks hour. What am I doing? Um, <laughs> Burning versus Damnation. Does anyone have anything to say? Going once. I mean, no. I mean. Going Honest, twice. Honestly, like, I don't. I'm not, I'm not even doing this to like breeze past them or whatever. But like, these two tags, yeah. like here, I don't really have a ton to say about. And like, I know that you're probably gonna talk about the Shima match. Um, so we can talk about that. But I don't, like these two tags, I don't really have much to say there. Sure. And it sounds like you don't even um, really care to talk about the Shima match. Uh, it's not like of like the like one of the more. It's not the sure. mo- the shooting match I've been like the most entertained by recently. It was it was it was fun, but I didn't have I didn't like wow. get super into it. I mean, to be fair, like my most entertaining Shunma match in a while was the match with Sonico, and it was because I was there live. Even though I can say that the match was probably not as good as this one. Um, but yeah, Dan, these well, next two I mean, tag my... matches, do you care? Go ahead. I don't really care. I mean, what's everyone's thoughts on uh, the big Indo Cardona match? Oh, um, I'm really excited that DDT <laughs> is is bringing over the worst AIW wrestler and and his even worse valet. Um, Imagine how good Indo Josh Bishop would be. <laughs> oh my fucking god! I would. Uh, yeah, that's now. Now we're talking. <laughs> yeah, now we are really talking. But yeah, I don't Dude, have anything I, to say about any of these. I mean, I I'm big on like eight man tags that are ten minutes long, almost can't be bad. So like, I it was fine. Right. Right, right. Yeah, but no, oh, Dan, we were talking about that, I think, right? We were talking about it in the DM. Like Josh Bishop is a must watch right now. Oh, yeah. Like oh yeah. In general, he's like we don't talk about him enough on the podcast just because like a lot of the times he's on shows where he's clearly the best wrestler in the entire show by a mile. Like but Josh Josh Bishop is like one of the rare like standouts in US Indies right now where it's just like, okay, this guy is doesn't matter what the fuck it is. It's always going to be worth watching. So just 100% of the time, if you can watch it, find it, watch it. This guy is just, god damn. He is just, he puts his whole, he puts the whole damn everything into every match, basically. This is a this is a huge segue now on Josh Bishop. It's my fault. But like, I think I told you, I live in Appalachia. There's not a lot of like high-end yeah, yeah. indie wrestling around here. You were excited if uh, Jason Kincaid was on a show. Like that was like, all right, we're getting <laughs> some real wrestling. And oh, then this man, ACW good tonight. <laughs> has made uh, this is company that does free shows at, at 
you know, Buffalo Wild Wings parking lots has made Josh Bishop their ace, and it's amazing. Oh my god! Wait, you? I don't think you told me it was in a Buffalo Wild Wings parking lot. Oh, I mean, not all their shows, but the majority of their shows are in the parking lot. Oh of my Buffalo god! Wild Wings. Yeah, dude, that is that is the that is like Joshua Bishop's natural habitat. It's uh BYOC. <laughs> bring your own chair too. Oh my god, that is so fucking crazy! Ah, wow. I yeah, I wish that that was making tape, or I gotta come out there and see one of uh, those because yeah, that's it is YouTube. He he's okay. got a match with uh he's got a he's got a bunch of matches with guys you expect like Matt Justice and uh, Bobby Beverly, but then sometimes sure, he'll sure. wrestle like uh the Barbarian wearing a t-shirt, not taking any bumps. Hell yeah, he will. Yeah, I got it. You got to link <laughs> me to this uh to this YouTube because this is uh-huh. crazy. Um. Okay. Well, speaking of right. fucking crazy, Shunma versus uh Okatani. What is this? DDT Extreme Title piercing deathmatch, right? So this is the the gimmick of this match is all fucking like pierce like skin flesh puncturing gimmicks, including a cactus, which is fantastic. I have not seen a cactus in a wrestling match in a very long time. Um yeah, Dan, you uh you mentioned enjoying this. Feel free to like take the uh, take the reins on this. Yeah, I liked it a lot because it almost, like you said earlier, it played into Okatani's tournament run where like he seemed like he was, you know, he he beat uh, Katsumata, obviously, and then he was trying to prove how tough he was against Higuchi, and now he's another chance to prove how tough he is, you know, with cactuses and, and skewers and barbed wire on flimsiest boards you could ever find. Um I liked it. I liked it a lot. I like, I didn't, I don't really know Okatani and now I really like him. And with the injury news coming out of this, it's like, man, you really wish they would have put over Okatani. Yeah. Like, well, <laughs> uh, like this would have been like the perfect moment. Of, I, or, I wanted him to win already. And then right. now knowing that he was, the other guy was hurt. It's just missed opportunity, right. but what are you going to do? Gotta, gotta say respect to my, my baby boy. I love him uh, in Shunma, even injured. He's like, no, I'm going over brother. Um, so gotta give him gotta give the shout out for that. Uh, but yeah, oh, yeah, he does I, did, that. I did love that. Yeah, he does the pushed off the top rope, double stomp through the barbed wire board, and that's clearly where he fucks himself up. And it's funny because he comes up from the board, and oh, um, um, Okatani is grabbing for the barbed wire strand that's stuck in his pants, right? And he's clearly like selling. When he gets into the ring, the referee does the same thing. He's trying to pull this piece of barbed wire that's stuck on Shunma's pants off. They're all focusing on that, and none of them are really realizing that he's fucked up and like his leg, something is wrong with his leg, bigger than just having barbed wire stuck on his pants. So I just I I found that very interesting the way that, you know, just the way that the life works. But yeah, this is violent and brutal. It did feel like Okatani at the end of it, Okatani really felt like he was ready to win. It was it was you know, with the the hair is obviously kind of a a reminder, but having um, Sakaguchi come in to Okatani post match and give him like some words of encouragement, it really did feel it 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 does seem like Okatani is like positioned to really replace the Sakaguchi role, but maybe even like surpass him in certain ways here because you really never saw Sakaguchi do something like this wild. Um, and this like really getting into the deathmatch stuff and like doing it like piercing, piercing deathmatch. And he does pierce the ear of Shunma with a uh, uh, 
safety pin in the middle of the match, but like, like the piercing was li- was very literal, man. Like the fucking thumbtacks, the screwers, everything. Like they really went at it with the skin puncture fucking wounds, and this was like very brutal. Like Okatani really showed something in this tournament, and especially in this match here, where, like I said, he could continue on the legacy of Sakaguchi in some ways and be his own man in other ways. But Quentin, do you have any thoughts on this? And then. If you do not feel free to segue into the main event, uh, no, this, this is it's, it was fun. Like I didn't uh, didn't think it was bad or anything. You're right on like the a lot of puncturing and uh, poking with uh, sharp objects going on in this. So um, if that's what you're uh, into, then uh, you know there's 12, 12 minutes of this for you to watch. But no, this is this is fine. I don't got a ton to say there. If we're done with that, then uh. We can go to the King of DDT finals, Chris Brooks versus Kazusada Higuchi. Um, I'll go. I, I'm trying to think how many like better Brooks performances I think I've seen, like off the top of my head. And like, Granted, in DDT, like, even though I feel like he's protected and valued, he doesn't get to do a ton of stuff like this, like, super often. Um, Make it even easier for you. Like, think about just Brooks' singles matches, you know, yeah. performance-wise. Yeah. Yeah, like, I'm trying to think of how many Brooks matches or performances I think are better as a singles guy. And, like, I'd be going back to, like, fucking, like, 2018 or some shit. Like... This is a phenomenal Brooks here, in my opinion. Um, like, I'm trying, like, is it like the best Brooks I've seen since, like, fucking, like, like facing like Zack Saber Jr. at Summer Sizzler that one year? Like, Ooh. I don't know. Like, it's. I would think of. I mean, <laughs> I to me the Big Bear, the I think it's Big Bear. Um, it was like a very small UK indie. Like that was the better Brooks Saber match to me, and that was like. Mm-hmm. Oh God, like I hate to even look back at this. So like 2016, 2015 range. Yeah. Yeah. So like I I'm pretty sure this is like this might be the best Brooks singles match ever. Like I might have to go through like some Tetsujin stuff to make sure because he was really good in some of those Tetsujin tournaments, but like this might be the best Brooks singles match ever. And it's really impressive from him. And I think he's going up against a guy that like it's hard to not be at your best against because he's so good at making everyone else look so good, you know, for as big of, for as big of an imposing monster and force as a Gucci is and how awesome he is when he gets to be the star and be the focal point and be a big monster and badass. like God, Higuchi, I can't say enough word, great words about him because who else can like look as good as he does in the ring, but also making someone look better than they've ever looked. And to be a bigger guy, a stronger wrestler, someone who's doing like a power-based wrestler gimmick and act and pull that off, that just doesn't really happen. That's not the type of guys who make that happen. That's like reserved for the fucking Darby Allens and Rey Mysterios and like Will Ospreys of the world. Like, a guy doing a sumo act shouldn't be the one that, oh yeah, when you're in the ring with him, you look better than you've ever looked before. But that's what happens here because Higuchi is one of the best wrestlers in the world and has been one of the best wrestlers in the world for a long time now. 
So Brooks looks the best that he's ever looked. And Higuchi, it might not even be his best match of the night. Like, the Ueno match might be better than this. Like, this might not even be his best match of the night. Now, granted, like, this is bigger stakes. It goes longer. uh, Things like that that people may... um, may feed into more for thinking the match is better. Like, I don't, I'm not even sure that this is better than the UNO match. And that's, that's the level that this guy operates on, on a regular basis where, Hey man, I'm going to, I'm just going to go out there and have like two great matches in the same <laughs> night. That's just, well, you know, that's just yes. regular Higuchi yeah. shit. I don't like, I'm just going to, I'm just, I'm just going to wrestle for a total of 35 or so minutes. And Brooks did the same thing too. Brooks or Akiyama is awesome. But like this guy just goes up there and does it twice in one night. And I don't know, man, like it's, he's, he's mastered looking great in defeat. He's mastered looking like Higuchi in defeat. Like he doesn't feel like he loses anything. He doesn't feel like he loses any like luster or glow or anything when he loses because you still leave the match thinking, oh, wow, Higuchi is, like, the best fucking wrestler on the planet. And there's only so many people that can pull that off. There's only so many guys who can pull that off, and it's even harder when you're someone like him to pull that off. Yet Here he is doing that night in, night out, every time he's put in the chance to do so. So, like, yeah, Chris Brooks wins, and it's interesting, and we can, like, talk about what that means, if they're going to attach a Chris Brooks um title match to a fucking like UK show or some shit. Like, like who like who like who like who like who knows? Like yeah. but the reality is that we are watching like a guy that has been one of the best wrestlers in the world for the last like however many years you want to say continue to do it and do it over and over again. And I don't see any sign of him just not being able to do this for however long as he wants to. It's okay. So I double checked it. It's Great Bear Promotions. Um, and it was Brooks versus Zach, and it was 2014. And I was like, okay, let me double check because I remember that the same promotion did Brooks versus Grisham. That was 2012. So when you talk about, you know, <laughs> Brooks, when you talk about being great for so long, Brooks, that's that is nine years of like this guy being on because the Grisham versus Brooks match is fantastic as well. Um, and that's been, you know, almost 10 years since like the peak of Brooks's performances when it really came to singles, because he's done. We talked about the ultimate utility player, the ultimate cockroach of wrestling. Like, I, I you know, I hate to say it that way, but in the UK for a long time, Chris Brooks was grabbing for scraps and trying to make things work and put things together, um, you know, and really keeping this whole fucking that whole fucking island on his back. Like, there was tons of good wrestlers, but all of the good wrestlers would leave. All of the good wrestlers would get bookings in Germany. <laughs> you know, like, all of the wrestlers would... They were not making their home base in the UK, or if they were, it's like they were not getting noticed. Um, And Brooks really... When people look back on the history of the, you know, the, the UK boom, that me and Quentin, I think, really... I hate to do this. I hate to really toot our own horn here. But when people look back on the history of the UK indie boom, like me and Quentin were on the fucking vanguard of this, talking about it, promoting it, telling everyone that they should be paying attention to it all the way through it until it fucking died. 
through it, we were telling people that they were going, they were, you know, injecting poison and it was going to die, all of that. And like, that's not really what matters. What matters is that when people look back on it, people are going to point to Will Ospreay and Pete Dunne and say, those are the guys. That was the UK indie boom, right? That's what people are going to point to. And in some ways, they're not wrong. But I think you're really missing the forest for the trees if you don't point to someone like Chris Brooks and say, like, that was actually the UK indie boom. That was the guy that was there from the beginning till the end that did everything, as we talked about, from the biggest companies to the smallest companies and was truly the heart and soul of what the UK indie boom was all about. Do you remember, like, how big of a deal it was that like the the harassment that the progress twitter account would get about booking right. cck right. for so Non-stop. long yeah. and then when they eventually did book cck and like us and brooks debut and the what i think i think they debuted at a like at a manchester show i don't think they even debuted in the yeah. ballroom i'm pretty no, sure they yeah. do debut they debuted in manchester and like the way that place just the fucking erupts at, yeah. just, at just seeing Brooks and Lycos like you would think they were the biggest fucking stars in Europe you would think yeah. that like they were the biggest stars in the whole continent the way that they reacted that night and like that's like that's a real true part of the history of the scene is like CCK was so over Chris Brooks was so over Everything they were doing was so over to the point where, like, they like were undeniable. Like, hey, like we can't keep acting like these guys don't exist. We have to book them now, right? And it's not just that they were over; it's also that they were integral to training, to booking, to like I talked about merch, to putting the shows together, to all of it. They were part of everything from the ground floor up, like. It's really tough to not, and I like us should get some of the credit too, but Brooks really feels like such a big part of it, you know, and I've spent so much of the time that I should have been talking about this match, talking about this, and you really hit everything there with just Higuchi. You know who's kind of the only wrestler who I've ever seen that I think could even come close to doing what Higuchi does was Donovan Dijak. Like, I... Remember at his peak as a wrestler, Donovan Dijak, and it's why like the Keith Lee Dijak thing worked and why they have a five star match, according to Dave Meltzer, is because Dijak was just amazing at being a big man who could sell and put over his opponent while also continuing to be this unbeatable monster and just the vibe and everything that came off of him. And the only person that's, that's to say the only person who's ever come close to what Higuchi does. And obviously Dijak has spent however many years now, just being completely squandered and wasted in WWE in multiple ways. And it's really fucking sad because you sit here and you look at Higuchi who's better than Donovan Dijak in every way, but still, (laughs) if, if Dijak could be, you know, three-quarter Higuchi, then he would be one of the greatest wrestlers of all time. We're talking about a guy who, you know, 
from the first time I saw him as a student in DNA, I was like, this is something special. And he showed it here in this match. And Quentin, you hit all the points. I just, you know, I'm I'm just, I'm really just walking around talking about history, hitting some points. I'm not talking any I haven't said anything about one move in this match. Like I just the the drama, the violence, the intensity, the build up, the tournament aspect of it. Two matches in one night, two brutal matches in one night ending up with these just massive behemoths, these monsters among men, as I talked about, they're both gigantic, you know, but they're also both very human. They're both, you know, they're both like, they both have flaws. They're both, you know, incredibly beatable. It's just incredible to watch because you see it and you go like, oh, you know, like this guy looks, he looks so weak, but then you put yourself in the context of it and you're just like, yeah, but like he looks weak because he's fighting against a fellow Titan. Another like monster that I, they would both just crush me like an ant. It's just, this is when wrestling is at its best. This is really why, this is the epitome of like why, you know, stupid people think like all wrestlers should be huge and they should be tall and muscular and all this because it's like really easy to tell this story, but these guys don't, these guys could be like five, five and the way that they sell and the drama that they ex- express would still like get, g- come across. But the fact that they're both like m- easily over six foot, they're both gigantic. And the story that they tell with their bodies, with their physicality, with the storyline, like this is just, this is wrestling as art. It really is. This is like why, you know, Quentin, the, the psychology is dead. All of the episodes, you know, had the art of whatever. Like, this is art. This is what it's about. And these guys deliver it here, like, beyond the pale. This is what you want. Is it the best match of the tournament? I don't know. Maybe not. But, you know, does it give you the biggest payoff? Does it deliver the drama? Do you come out of this feeling like a price was paid and a story was told and a point was made? Like, 100%. Dan? Okay, that what are your thoughts? What you, final? So that's that's perfect because what you said at the end is like one of my big point I wanted to make is that to me it is the best match of the tournament because it's like maybe if you watch each match in a vacuum, maybe Higuchi first match on the last night was better, but I didn't watch him in a vacuum. I watched this whole tournament play out and it built this moment and this was my favorite match of the tournament, and I don't think it was that close. I loved it. I loved every moment of the match. I loved every moment of the post-match. And you both did it, so I don't need to correct you, but it's really funny to hear, is this a Chris Brooks best best match ever, or maybe in nine, ten years, however long it's been, and everything you're saying is right, and then you both go, but he's the second best guy in the match, and how crazy is that? Like, he's having the night of his life. Like, he is on fire, and like, it's like, oh man, but Higuchi's still Higuchi. Um, I don't know, like, you're trying to compare people, and this doesn't really work, but like, it's funny because they're not the same. Higuchi is a big guy, but like he he does things that like only Lesnar does to me. Like he has that presence, and uh, the spot the spot that I keep seeing on Twitter is where uh, Higuchi gets his arm, which also the arm work from the first match that night playing into this match brilliantly. But he gets his arm smashed in the big metal gate, and then uh, Brooks tries to hit him in the head, and it doesn't work. And then he palm strikes the gate, knocks him down. That keeps getting played, but like immediately after that, Higuchi hits a sickening headbutt. And I mean, all the headbutts in this were sickening. Yes, and yes. 
yeah, he 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 gives him like that, you know, he gives him the NJ stare, um, <laughs> the fluoride stare master, if you will. Um, and then yeah, he follows that up with the just unrelenting headbutt. It's like that's the real drama. Like you said, the physicality leading up to that is only really like only really matters in the context of seeing the true drama, which is Haguchi's reaction to it. So yes. it is it is weird that that gets cut off. Yeah, I, I saw the gif and I was like, you stop, you stopped it. <laughs> like, no, that doesn't I I know it really just really upset <laughs> yeah. me when it's so stupid. But uh um yeah, I mean every little moment Haguchi is somehow the scariest man on the planet and so vulnerable. And I, I don't know how you how you do that high wire act, but he does it. Like I'm like, oh Haguchi's gonna murder this man, then I'm like, oh, this is it, it's over. Chris has won. And that happens four or five times in the match. Uh, um, and then, uh, I mean, not to like wrap it up, but like, this is all part of it. And like, I actually think that it's why I tell Sam that like, I like the Lucha mask match better because like pageantry gets to me, tournament stuff gets to me, treating things like a big deal works for me. And DDT treats us like a big deal. And the post-match yeah. stuff is good too. And Chris treats it like a big deal. And like that all plays in to the match to me. So like, that's why it was so perfect for me. And I, I don't know if you do five stars, if you do, you know, out of 10, or you do blah, blah, blah. It, this was, this was great. I, just, I loved it. Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't matter how you rate things. This is yeah. a, a, a plus, very sentimental. 10 out of 10, yeah. five stars, whatever you want. This is it. Yeah. This is what you want from wrestling. This is the culmination of a story. And we talk, we're talking tourneys tonight, fellas. And the whole point is that like, Tourneys work because there's the intrinsic story of it where everything is building to this moment and then you get that payoff and the payoff is huge. And even if even if coming out of it, we all agree that Higuchi is the greatest wrestler. Like it's kind of like when you would study for a test and you'd be like, oh my gosh, I got a 99. And then there's like this the smartest kid in your class who got a hundred and like was sleeping. Yeah. Yeah, and you're right. like, oh man, that's like Higuchi, where it's like it doesn't matter how good you are. Like he was just a step ahead. I mean, he's really lost, but like, just level. Yeah. he's so good. Um, but yeah, well, me and Sam are always talking about how tourney should be almost, it should be easy. It's like a cheat code for wrestling bookers. Yeah. And so many people screw it up. DDT did not screw it up. And on top of that, all everyone in it was great. This is, yeah, you know, the, this is it. This is great. I loved it. This is DDT's strong suit as tournaments. I always say it, but the, the, their booking and their storylines always make sense throughout and everything just like fits into each other and they clearly pay attention to the details and and this is it but uh, yeah like really gotta start talking about Higuchi more man like I feel you know we talk about him a ton like he's probably my wrestler of the year for last year he could definitely end up being my wrestler of the year again this year like the guy is just really special but um you guys have any other final thoughts before we head out feel free um, Dan, if you want to plug anything, I don't know if anybody uh, listening to this doesn't know, but yeah. At this point, you should know Talking Tourneys. Well, like I said, I'm, I mean, I immediately went back and watched because I, I don't follow DDT like I should, and I'm probably going to try to get back, add it to my roster of show or promotions I follow. But that his Hino match from uh, yeah, early in the year, from was that January? I watched that like immediately after the final. Because I just went to his single matches and I was like, what do I need to watch? I was like, that's it. And it was, yeah. I mean, yeah. Dan, Dan, how, how well versed in like Higuchi are you? I mean, I watch what, like, I will watch less than half a dozen matches of his a year because I'm just not a DT guy. I will mm. watch what people put on their match of the year list at the end. You know what I mean? Like that. 
And yeah. it's just, I mean, it's the same complaint everyone has, so I don't want to make it. There's just too much stuff on DDT shows that I don't want to watch. Hmm. Right. That... I'm trying to remember. Uh, Tim, when was the uh, Speedball Higuchi match from oh. D King? Was that was that twenty was that was that twenty sixteen? Yeah, that was like twenty sixteen. Um, actually, I'm trying to think of that was twenty sixteen or twenty seventeen. There, now I'm like, okay, they had the the DNA final that might have been twenty fifteen. I think. Um, so the 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 Do match that they had would have been like either twenty seventeen or twenty eighteen. Okay. Okay, I looked it up. Yeah, 2016 yeah, 20, was the DNA Grand Prix final, which was okay. really good. But the block bricks match was, or Grand Prix match was 2018. Okay, so if you haven't, then I would say try to find the Higuchi versus Speedball match from yes. January 13th, 2018. I'm um, writing that down right now. And then... <laughs> I'm trying to remember. I'm pretty sure if there's you're also listening to this and you haven't seen that match. You what the fuck is wrong with you? And I'm pretty but sure there's also. also I'm, I'm pretty sure there's also was isn't there a Higuchi versus Ishikawa match in that same in that same block that year? Oh yeah 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 yes yeah. Is. And there's also a which is a Higuchi versus Shuji Ishikawa match in that same tournament. So if you can find that. Uh, if you can if, if you can find the speedball match, you can find that. And I would say, uh, watch both watch both of those. Uh, I'm recommending those because like they're uh, not as not as long, not the big main event stuff. Like if you wanted to, you yeah. could watch like Kaguchi versus Shuji Shikawa from like 2016. Uh, but well, the 2016 or 2017, I think 2016. But 16, yeah, yeah, watch but watch those 2018 matches then for sure. No, I definitely will. I mean, I like what I see, but like. I don't know. And it's so funny because like, I felt like I was pretty positive on the best of the super juniors, but I'm like, if you, for some reason have to choose what you're going to watch, it's like, watch the oh, DDT yeah. stuff. Yeah. It's, it's a, it's a, just another level. Um, but yeah, like I said, I don't really have anything to plug. I mean, you can follow me on Twitter. It's Dan underscore rice 88. I talk tourneys. It's, it's what I do. <laughs> that's pretty much all I got. <laughs> well, that's why we had to bring you on. Like we said, it's, you know, the, 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 um, the, Ah, God, what is the word I'm looking for? The, I could just say the master of the tourneys, you know, whatever. But either way, um, really, if you're going to do a UNO like backwatch, you can look for the, or Higuchi backwatch. You can look for the UNO matches because they have a ton of great matches with each other. Um, but yeah, either way, Quentin, uh, I don't have anything yeah. else to talk about. Uh, there yeah. was something that I remembered for a second, but I'll talk about it uh, next week when we come back with a special guest. And um, no matter who the guest is, I think I'm pretty sure I know who it's going to be. But no matter who it is, um, they're going to be a. Uh, I, I was trying to think of a way to do this, but we'll just move on. A uh, an honorable <laughs> guest, I'll say. Um, um they'll be yeah. honorable. We'll yeah. be uh, we'll be uh, back next week to review. What the what the fuck is it? Double or nothing? Double or nothing? Yeah. Yeah, double or nothing. Uh, you can follow a man of honor. A man of honor. You can follow me on Twitter at qt underscore moody. You can follow. Oh my god, I'm I'm forgetting it. Is is it still ROH Dutch? Uh, yes. 
you can follow Tim at our Witch Dutch. You can follow the podcast network at WDKWPN. And if you're feeling as so kind, you could donate to us on coffee. You could fund my plan to get Higuchi versus Orange Cassidy booked. Uh, I don't know where yes. I would like this ran, but I would just like to fund it and make sure that I have this in my life. So if you want to contribute to getting Higuchi versus Orange Cassidy booked, you can donate to us on coffee. Thank you all for listening. I'll be here next time.